Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. All right, happy February 28th, everybody. You know what that means? That means next month we will be together live. Yes, on the lawn, Palm Sunday. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Don't worry if you're not comfortable coming together or if you live somewhere else. We'll still be streaming that morning and in the ensuing mornings. Hey, before we dive in, I've got a list of people that I want to dedicate this message to, actually. It's dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, but specifically is dedicated also to Joy Ryan, Kristen Hernandez, Shayla Diaz, Christy Portillo, Vanessa Breen, Helen Phelan, Liz Griffith, Katie Langley, Hannah Nielsen, to David and Janelle Pipes, to Tom and Christine Kobayashi, Tom's in heaven now, to Kirk and Georgine Escher, to Mike and Suzanne Seashells, who in the midst of their own lives and their own families set aside time to prioritize my daughters, our daughters, and pour into them. Your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time. We thank you. Our Bibles are open. Jesus, uh, we open ourselves. We want to be the living word here on the peninsula or wherever we live so that you can live through us. Guide us now, we pray. Please change us. Make us look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first time Faith Ann cut herself, she was in eighth grade. It was two in the morning, and as her parents slept, she sat on the edge of the bathtub in her home with a metal clip from a pen in her hand. And there was blood and a sense of deep relief. The pain of the superficial wound was momentary escape from the anxiety she had been fighting constantly about her grades, about her future, about relationships, about everything. Many days she felt ill before going to school. Sometimes she'd throw up. Other times she'd just stay home. It was like asking me to climb Mount Everest in heels, she says. This is all from a pre-COVID Time Magazine cover article a few years ago called Anxiety, Depression, and the Modern Adolescence. The kids are not all right. In the article, it talks about how anxiety and depression pre-COVID were on the rise in high school kids and have been uh, going for more than a decade. It's a phenomenon they cited that cuts across all demographics, suburban kids, urban kids, rural kids, those who are college bound, those who aren't. The article cited about 30% of girls, about 20% of boys are dealing with and holding on to an anxiety disorder, according to the data, literally, Faith Ann is quoted saying, being a teenager today is exhausting. Now, I know in my life, and I knew I grew up in a whole different era, a lot of descriptors talk about my teenager years that I use, but exhausting was never one of them. And then came 2020 with COVID and all the other things that came with it. And as hard as it's been on us adults, we want to take a few weeks and pause and ask, how is it for kids and teens? And maybe more importantly, ask this question, who is going to stand by these kids? 
who's going to equip every PCC kid and teenager with the spiritual resources and the biblical hope to thrive? We want to. And as we look forward to relaunching PCC Live, as we re-emerge one area that we cannot fail in church, one area that every PCC stakeholder needs to stack hands on, is the priority that kids and teens are going to take in our ministry. The next four weeks, our goal is to resource families to be intentional with our words, with love, with uh, with people, the people resources, so that kids can do life well. We want to remind us all the priority I laid out in the fall, what we call the family table. Remember that? What's the family table, you ask? Great question. Family table is an initiative to engage kids and teens right where they are to encourage kids and teens to live out their faith with Jesus so that we can empower the generations to disciple kids and teens, one kid, one team at a time. And as we're preparing to relaunch in less than a month, and uh, that will be a, a, a series of relaunches actually, we got to raise this question. Can PCC be a place where kids and teens and families thrive? Is it possible and should we be so fanatical about kids and teens that we give them, ready, top priority over every other age group at PCC? Now, before you quickly go to email me, just stop because the temptation this morning is one of twofold, to either be really angry right now before we get in the word or to discount this message as only applicable to parents. Please don't. Everybody, whether you're a parent, if you're one of our college or network people, singles, outside of marriage, empty nesters, we all have an important role to play in helping build a place on our campus where kids can thrive in our ministry. To quote one of my mentors, I want you to consider this. You may have been 7 or 13 or 17 at one time, but you were never the age these kids are growing up today. You know that. And if we can get fanatical about kids in the ministry to kids, I'll tell you what, we won't have enough room for people to come to Christ. In the end, it doesn't matter what Time Magazine says or what I say, What matters is, what does Jesus say on this? I'm so glad we're asking that question. Let's jump into Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. You ready? Here we go. Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing their children to Jesus. Circle the word bringing there. Because they wanted him to place his hands on them. Now, children here is just a general word, but in Luke's account of this passage, he uses a word that means babies or infants or actually toddlers, smaller children. So you see the scene. Jesus is teaching in the Galilee, and these parents are bringing their little ones for Jesus, right? They saw Jesus' love. They saw his healing power. They heard his teaching about eternal life. These parents wanted their children to be in on it, that part of the kingdom of God. They wanted their children to have eternal life. 
just like any sensible parent would. I mean, really, what parent doesn't see themselves in this story? What would we not stop at to get our kids to come to Christ? Well, look what happens. But the disciples rebuke them. Literally, it means they intensely reprimanded them. In the noun form, this word rebuke, it means to punish, a punishment. See, the disciples, this isn't the Pharisees, these are the good guys, right? The disciples' worldview was that when it came to God and children, children took a back seat to adults. Note that when it comes just from this, just start here, let's just pull out of the passage. When it comes to kids and Jesus, there are two types of people in this story. Bringers and barriers. Bringers bless, barriers block. There's no middle ground. And I want to pause for 90 seconds. I want you to interact with whoever you're with or if you're by yourself, consider. What is it in our words, habits, character, or inaction that's aiding in bringing kids to Christ? And what is it in our words, habits, character, action or inaction is preventing or is a barrier for kids to come to Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. Ready? Go. All right, I can't imagine any of you saying, I want to be a barrier when it comes to kids and Jesus. So let's focus on what it means to be a bringer. Specifically, what, it would, what would it look like for PCC? Think about this dream, everybody, to be fanatical about bringing kids to Jesus. What would our community be like if we decided not to be afraid of kids or teenagers or students, but to run toward them with kingdom love? You just have to see this lived out in the lives of some of our PCCers, Freda Morris, Corey Braddock, Russ Gramer, Jessica Oliviera, Jana Sampson, Ryan Worthington, Walt Andrade. These are men and women who have a ton on their plate, but are fanatical about kids knowing Jesus. They've learned how kids spell love. T 
I am E. And they're living it. And we honor you. Let's pick it up in verse 14. When Jesus saw this, look at this. He was indignant. That word indignant means to be angry over an injustice. And it's the strongest word in the Greek New Testament for anger. And it's the only time it's used of Jesus. He was righteously anger. He was uh, angry. He was wrath-filled in a holy way. Now think about this. Jesus being indignant. He wasn't indignant when he walked the earth at this extreme level over all the other injustice he saw. And he saw a lot. I mean, he was grieved, he was sorrowful, his guts churned. He even was angry in a lesser sense. But his most holy, spirit-filled wrath that we have recorded in the Bible was when he saw his disciples standing in the way as opposed to allowing kids to come to him. Jesus' reaction was radically countercultural in light of the first century Roman culture and laws. According to a PBS documentary, and I'm quoting from them now about first century Roman culture, they say, quote, it was outright dangerous to be a child in the first century Roman Empire. And they weren't just speaking about infant mortality. The infant mortality rate in that day was about 50% of kids. They never saw, 50% of kids never saw their 10th birthday. But back to the article, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to exposure, particularly if they were of the wrong gender. And you can guess which gender that would be. They were often sold into slavery as kids, abused in numerous ways that I won't even get into. So no wonder Jesus is indignant. Back to verse 14, let's pick it up. So he says to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, now look quickly, look in your Bible. He doesn't say the kingdom of God belongs to these as if somehow these particular Jewish babies and toddlers were in the kingdom. He doesn't say that. He says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these meaning the whole category of beings to which these babies belong. Literally, what he means is the kingdom of God belongs to these kind, to babies, to infants, to children. In other words, Jesus is simply saying, they have a place in my kingdom. Picking up verse 15, he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is my favorite part of the story right here. And he took the children in his arms. Literally, it's it's a word for enfolding his arms. Can you just see it? Jesus just wrapping his arms one by one around these kids. And he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. The syntax there means one by one by one by one. He just blessed them fervently, you could say by praying each one of them, one at a time, putting his hand on them, saying, bless you, bless you, bless you. Thus he models, really for all of us, the simplicity of God honoring kids' ministry. Continual healthy presence, he took them in his arms, and continual healthy words, 
he blessed them. That's what we've received as parents from those uh, men and women that I opened the message with, dedicating it to. They have been a con- these men and women have been a continual presence in our five daughters' lives, speaking words of blessing that stick longer and have a deeper impact than sometimes even the words our daughter's own parents, us, that we speak over them. See, friends, the disciples missed the point of the value of children. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at in this passage. These disciples thought that Jesus needed protection from the bothersome children. But Jesus points out that it's kids who need protection from misguided adults. I don't think much has changed in 2,000 years. We're not a culture that's kind to kids, whether they're in utero, all the way going through graduation. The world we've created and handed to kids, it's not a kind world. So Jesus says to the adults in his hearing 2,000 years ago, and catch this, he says it to us today in Redwood City, the 94062, where our ministry hub is based. Stop hindering kids from coming to me. Get out of their way. Let them come and stand by me. Bottom line, Jesus is saying kids, children were created for God. He and children were actually made for each other. And the one thing that ought to concern adults who are disciples of Jesus and respect children is get out of the way. Don't be a barrier. Be a bringer when it comes to kids and Jesus. In another place in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 42, later on in the chapter, Jesus said this, And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will be rewarded. God rewards us when we prioritize what is on God's heart, the least, the lost, the forgotten, including children. You know, on my desk for 24 years while I've been here at PCC has been this jar of marbles. There's 936 of them in there. It represents one week out of a kid's life, my daughter's, from zero to 18 years. And I've realized, looking at this as a, as a metaphor, the reality is I don't have much time. When I value my time, when I see how much time I really have as a dad, uh, the reality is I only get 936 weeks with each of my daughters from when she's born to when she graduates, and it moves so quickly. We only have one daughter left in the house, and JoJo is 12 years old. That means I've lost more than half my marbles when it comes to raising her. Ann and I only have 196 more marbles or weeks until she gets her driver's license. We only have 312 more marbles or weeks before she moves out. And you know that, right? You know one day these kids are going to move on. Oh, they'll still speak to you and call you parents. They'll still text you or whatever the latest platform is, and you'll see them on the holidays, but it's never gonna be the same. I know in our house, oh, it's been two years since the whole Gadini clan has been under the same roof. I'm not trying to depress you, 
but I'm trying to impress on each one of us how fast it goes and how much this week matters. Bottom line, mom, dad, church, we're losing our marbles or our weeks, however you want to think about it. This is why we need to play for keeps with every week that passes, with every marble we lose, we're making history. We're playing for keeps when we are bringers, when it comes to kids and Jesus. I wanna implore you, don't miss the next three weeks. As a church, we're gonna look at how our words, how the people in our lives, the people we surround our kids with, how our love will help us as a church and help the next generation be passionate followers of Jesus. Now, how do we apply this? One quick application. Again, I'll close with how I opened. I want you this week to consider what is it in your words, in your habits, in your character that's aiding in bringing kids to Christ? And how will you prioritize your life to align with the priority of Jesus and being a bringer when it comes to kids in Christ. Who will stand by kids? Who's gonna stand by the kids? So in May of 2018, uh, a global phenomenon took place, the royal wedding, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle. And at that wedding, a choir sung called the Kingdom Choir. They actually sung the song, Stand By Me. Well, our own worship pastor knows that choir well. And that same choir is gonna sing for us that song stand by me. And as they do, I want you to reflect on what I left you with. How will you stand by a kid? How will you aid in us being a ministry that brings kids to Christ? God bless you as you reflect on that. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.